Ladies and gentlemen, prepare for liftoff. Oh, righty then. What a weird word to start with, but I am Tony Dosat. And I am Peter Clayman. Welcome back. back. Yeah, welcome back to Liftoff by Bottle Rocket. Now, today is a very cool, special day because we have with us someone that is the Associate Vice President of Design and Innovation at Blue Cross Blue Shield of Illinois, Montana, New Mexico, Oklahoma, and Texas. And I am talking, of course, about Summer Wright Collins. Summer, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Tony. Hi, Peter. It's wonderful to be here. I'm excited about our our day. So, Summer, we have to ask, those states don't seem to touch on a map, do they? Well, there's a very special map that we have in, at Blue Cross where they do all touch. No, I'm kidding. Of course not. <laughs> um, but no, geographically a, a bit distant. Um, and yet we're really excited to serve in all of those communities. There's a, a really um, unique story as to how all of the members in those states came to be a part of, of um, HCSC and, and the Blue Cross Blue Shield family. And, and we're very, very excited to um deliver and provide care in those geographies. So before we dig into the nitty gritty and the goodies, what can you tell us about what it means to be the Associate Vice President of Design and Innovation there and how did you get there? I think in terms of my role, um, there are aspects of design and innovation that we know are needed and necessary in the direction we're headed in as a company and more importantly in healthcare. Um, There's a lot of opportunity to um, build and enhance and, and transform the things that we do uh, in a more impactful and powerful way. And so bringing that uh, to the space that I'm in, to Blue Cross Blue Shield, and um, I have the opportunity as well to work with uh, my colleagues at the C1 Innovation Lab. So we have an innovation lab specifically um, harnessed to deliver that and bring in talents from designers, clinicians, uh, customer service team members. It's quite amazing. So that is another aspect of, of my work and um, excited. I Starts saw... with curiosity, though. That's where it all began for me. So kind of wanting to understand. That summer is music to my ears because whenever this show used to be titled a different show, it would uh-huh. I, my, my, my last call to action in every episode was to stay curious. So oh, that yes. really is music to my ears. And what does it mean to you to be curious? Yes. yes. So I think that oftentimes this approach in healthcare of, um, you know, traditionally like being the expert in the room and always having the answer. And this is kind of beyond any one um, entity. Of course, in, in healthcare, you have physicians, you have hospital systems, you have payers, you have patients and patients' families. And so there's this whole hodgepodge of, of stakeholders in any particular instance of healthcare delivery. And everybody brings a perspective and an expertise. And so it doesn't have to start with um, you know, walking in a room and definitively having that answer. Um, sometimes it's about listening and being curious enough to want to understand how all the components play together. Hmm. So, that. you know, healthcare is pretty complex for a lot of people. Can you just give us a quick lay of the land of what are the components? Like, how should we think about this as we walk through this conversation today? 
Yeah, that's a really great question. So I'll be a little biased in my response there in that um, I'm trained in epidemiology and public health. And mm. so I think one of the first lenses that we have to look at when we're thinking about health and well-being is that population and community-based level of, um, you know, care. And it might be our environmental uh, you know, factors, what's going on in our communities. It could be, you know, the water that we drink or have access to. It could be barriers that exist by way of, um, you know, transportation and, and access. So that's kind of a, a context that you start with. And then on top of that, you start to layer, um, you know, the, the perhaps more traditional care network the pediatricians, the family practitioners, those that are delivering care, um, the hospital systems, the provider networks, and then you know you have the systems that the, that those um, uh, entities work within. So the healthcare um, insurance um, landscape, the um, reimbursement models behind um, how some of those um, organizations and and providers are um, compensated. You get into smaller but extremely important um, school-based health, for example, nurses and, and clinicians, private practice, mental health uh, therapists, and um, you know, pretty soon you're right. It is a very, very complex web, um, but absolutely each and every uh, contributor uh, to that healthcare landscape has a very, very important job. You know, some are so interesting to me. If I think about Texas, Oklahoma. New Mexico and Illinois, it's a lot of different populations. I mean, you have some of the largest cities in the country. So how do you kind of use data and immerse yourself? How do you find the time to immerse yourself in the communities that you service so you can design the right types of things to meet their needs? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And you know, of course we have team members in all of those different locations, but I think what you hit it right on the head is, you know, how do you start to understand and immerse yourself in those communities? And that's a very important practice that we have is <clears throat> taking that time to really um, understand that end user and understand um, the, the challenge or the potential area of opportunity um, that needs to be addressed. And we heavily rely on our, our design uh, mindset and our, our resources to help us explore and answer those questions versus assuming just because something works in one place, it will work in another. And, you know, to be honest, that is the same within state too. There's different types of communities, rural or urban or suburban even. And, and just because we have something that is successful, perhaps in one area, um, it's worth a pause and an evaluation to understand how it would play out in another. So we're talking about five states. They're not little tiny states, right? It's not a small population of people. And like you were discussing, this complex web of stakeholders, of users, of lives that these products touch. I mean, I'm overwhelmed just thinking about it. How do you manage such complex systems over such a large swath of mm -hmm. people and interactions? What is the first thing that you go to whenever you are, let's say, starting someone new out? <laughs> right. Well, I think, you know, one of the things that is really important is to 
really understand that root cause analysis. And so when we identify an area of challenge or opportunity, we seek deeply to understand the influences and factors that contribute to what's going on. And to the point made earlier, there are a lot of stakeholders. And when we are implementing or um, designing a solution to address a challenge, we may be focusing on one or two or um, a combination of those stakeholders. We may not be solving for the whole continuum at that point because we know that the ripple effect of, for example, um, working with providers has a huge impact in the member experience. That doesn't mean we don't need to work with the members directly. We mm. absolutely do. Everything we do is, is for our members. Um, but there's different um, nodes of how to address that. And so I think what what drives that is understanding that root cause and going through the exercise of analyzing primary and secondary data to do that. Let me ask you, what are the incentives from your team to design towards? Like, so usually it's really simple, right? We want to do commerce. We want to do more commerce. Great. The more sales we get, the better. I don't quite understand that though in a payer environment. Yeah, no, that's a, a an interesting question. I think on so the first and foremost answer is that I personally believe, um, as do many of my colleagues, that there is an opportunity for us as, as leaders in healthcare to ensure uh, an, a better and improved experience for our members as well as the collective in the future. We know that there's a lot that we can be doing um, that we do well today, that we can, but that we can also be doing better. And um, that drive for that future state is what helps me in those moments. I think Tony, you were mentioning like, how do you sleep? Well, it's yeah. exciting to think about the future when um, you know we can we can integrate new solutions and and help support people through their their health journeys in this new way. And so I think that in and of itself is what gets me up and, and gets me motivated. Mm. Um, but then more specifically, I think it's about opportunities to um, really, as I mentioned before, kind of support that health journey in a new way. So there is much more to health than just the absence of disease. It is about a fully holistic and supportive experience through one's health journey, mental health, physical health, thriveability in all aspects. And so with that definition in mind, there is so much opportunity for all of us within the healthcare ecosystem to contribute and deliver that for our communities that we're all a part of. I'm obsessed with that. I think that that is a really powerful um, motivating factor. And a lot of times, especially when there are such data involved, when there is such data involved, and it gets a little unsexy, you know, sometimes you got to think of the stuff that's really at the core of what you're doing yeah. and who it's impacting. So data, it's interesting that you bring that up because storytelling and data, I think, are oftentimes, you know, you think about... Um, the training that one needs for for humanities or storytelling, and it it takes a, a certain track. Oftentimes, careers go in one direction, and then you know, data and analytics and um, biostatistics and all of these very hard um, kind of careers, uh, hard science careers. It oftentimes take a 
a different direction, but I think they're actually more intertwined than we realize. Mm. And the opportunity and the power in combining data and storytelling, it's tremendous. And that is, you're right, you, you need to toggle and balance the two because there are real individuals that are going through these um, experiences. And in a certain way, sometimes it's hard to see that in big data, but it's important to do it. Since 2008, Bottle Rocket has been helping companies acquire more, engage deeper, and grow faster than their competitors. Industry leaders like Southwest Airlines, Chick-fil-A, MoneyGram, and Frito-Lay trust Bottle Rocket to provide business strategy, product management, experience design, product growth, and technology services that drive business results and solve unmet customer needs. To learn more about Bottle Rocket and subscribe to the newsletter, visit BottleRocketStudios.com. So when I was digging and doing my stalking, which I stalk all the guests, it's fine, it's whatever. So on the wall... It's for work, it's appropriate. That's right. Professional stalking. There's nothing creepy. It's Yeah, it's professional stalking. <laughs> Every recruiter, like HR manager is going, yeah, we do. Anyway, yep. so uh-huh. Uh-huh. the C1 Innovation Lab is so awesome. It looks incredible. And I, I'm going through pictures and I see a quote that uh, is on one of the walls. It's a decal on one of the mm-hmm. walls. And it says, we believe mm-hmm. that failure is an intrinsic mm-hmm. and inevitable part of the innovation process. Now, mm-hmm. we hear a lot about failing quick, failing fast, failing forward, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I see that on an innovation lab wall, and I go, of course, yes, I love it, I support it, awesome. And then something happens in my head, and I go, oh, but we're talking about healthcare and things like that. So failure plus that in my head goes, oh my gosh, <laughs> Somebody yes, pull the emergency that. cord. So how do you how do you combine the two and how do you embrace that failing without a net? Or do you have right. a metaphorical net? That's an excellent question. That's an excellent question. I think first and foremost, it's the idea that we can move much faster in healthcare than perhaps we have in that um, trying, piloting, starting small and scaling are all tools that historically Um, perhaps we haven't used as much, right? We go all in, we put huge amounts of resources and dollars into a certain solution or a certain, you know, concept um, rather than testing it to ensure that those are the best way to configure the components. And so I think that the failure is the recognition that we can, as a healthcare industry, do better about combining things in a new way, having that collaborative approach and really multidisciplinary approach to solving problems, and then explore whether or not they bring us the outcomes that we um, want to see in supporting those health journeys that we talked about earlier. Mm. So to your, your point, it's not about getting into a doctor's office and you know, the, the physician saying, well, I'm going to try something here. We've never done that before. And, and sometimes that's, you know, sometimes that's needed. You hear about um, certain kinds of um, 
you know, uh, trials and opportunities to explore new treatments. So that certainly is the case, but the type of exploration and, and piloting that we're talking about is really, you know, in, com in combination with um, what kinds of outcomes and ways can we configure our work to support those health journeys and, and try them before they get fully operationalized mm. in a way that then just becomes so unwieldy to kind of um, tweak and, and modify. So it's it's an, it, a little bit of a different maybe take on that, but um, I certainly understand kind of that um, question of Love what that. does that mean. Can you bring it to reality for us? Can you give us an example of something y'all have worked on in the experimentation phase, just so we can kind of better understand how the framework applies? Absolutely, absolutely. So um, one of the things that is um, kind of in line with what we've been discussing is that idea of holistic health and the idea that there Essential are- Essential oils, yeah. Well, we have a huge- no. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, you bring up a good point because it does mean something different. Holistic health, you say that to five different people, you probably <laughs> right, get right. five different answers. I think that's happened probably in, in um, our space, but also, um, you know, what we mean by that is thinking about- the support and combination of mental health, of physical health, of dental health, of, you know, making sure vision and, and um, eye exams are completed so that there's there's really an opportunity for that person to, to thrive and be successful. And so um, one of the things that we looked at was, you know, what kinds of, uh, of services can we help support our, our physicians, our um, provider partners, as well as our members in doing that. And it was a fantastic project in which we looked at um, qualitative data. Of course, you know, we have information um, on, you know, claim patterns for um, the primary care and, and more um, physical care that people are receiving, the vision and the dental care. And we sort of looked at it in this new way to be able to identify areas of opportunity for information perhaps um, to be shared and, and supported. So we know, and I say we, it's published that there are associations between, for example, oral health and cardiac health. Um, those that have less healthy, um, you know, gingivitis and, and gum disease, you're more likely to have a, a heart event. And so why are we not, you know, kind of talking about that more and how can we connect the dots in a way where um, it's not you have on your uh, your dentist hat when you're at the dentist and your immunization hat when you're taking your little ones to the pediatrician, but rather we're just talking about health in all spaces. And so we were able to come up with a, a, a way in which we could integrate that a little bit more um, consistently and holistically for those outcomes. Um, and it was an exciting project that we worked on at the lab. That is super cool. So so, you know, summer, we would be remiss to go through this whole conversation about healthcare and innovation and not talk about COVID. So across our organization and many organizations we work with, we find a huge desire to have innovation labs, but a struggle to ensure that the revenue you put towards it and the FTEs you assign to it will continue to deliver the types of work that are needed to drive the organization forward. So how, how do you manage your innovation pipeline and how is that pipeline changed as a result of COVID? Well, there's no doubt that COVID has significant, significantly affected all of us. And um, we are we are in that situation as well. 
um, I think from a, a broader a societal point of view, perhaps it's an interesting um, opportunity. I don't think anyone would have desired it, but at the same time has allowed us to look at the influences of community and, and population health in a different way. And so there's an uptick in, you know, folks wanting to um, do everything they can to support the health of others and understand and get educated around information. Those are all great things. And hopefully it's, you know, like I said, not a, a desired trigger, but things that will um, continue, um, I think are, are very exciting to to kind of um, explore. I think for us at the C1, you know, um, like most of you, uh, are we are we are working remotely, and so it's a it's a nice opportunity to highlight how the experience of the innovation lab is so much more beyond the specific location. We have a fantastic uh, we have a fantastic space. It is an amazing uh, way in which we're able to collide and partner and collaborate and really, um, you know, conducive to that. So I certainly look forward to to the time when we can go back. However, the team and the way that we think about problems, the way that we um, research and understand, posit and, and ideate different concepts, that is so um, exciting to see in the last few months happen virtually. Um, it's been it's been really incredible. And I think because we approach our work with the um, problem solving, curious and um, inquisitive mindset, um, you know, you can't bottle that. That doesn't that doesn't just stay yeah. at the office. And then when you go there, you're, you have it. And when you leave, you don't. Um, so we've been able to to really continue our work and, and collaborate with our clients and members. I definitely feel that big time, especially now, like you said, working from home, working remote, et cetera. Now, before I ask the final question that I ask every guest, where can people find you, reach out to you and connect? Absolutely. So um, I am online at um, Twitter, SC Alchemist. Um, I am also at the C1 Innovation Lab website, c1innovationlab.com. Well, now I'm going to hit you with the last question. And that is, what non-digital object or thing that you own or possess means the most to you or has impacted your life the most and why? So for me, the answer to this question is um, very easy. So I am from Colorado and um, there was a very meaningful hike that um, my husband and I took um, right before we got married. And um, ironically, there was just this um, kind of amazing um, gemstone that we found on that hike. Mm. Um, so I had that, um, but to sort of lay on the sappiness, uh, that <laughs> that was um, something that we had with us when um, each of our children were born. So oh, wow. It is, um, yeah, just a very special, special thing and represents uh, a lot in my, in my personal life and, and with the um, evolution of my family. So see, that's that really nice. amazing and hits home for Peter and I because Peter loves hiking and I love sappiness. 
So <laughs> I also like rocks. Rocks, so. and I like children. So you That's just... That's just the, the triumphant. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Is this really how it is? I'm the rocks and hiking guy, and you're the sappiness and children guy? <laughs> I'm fine with that, Tony, honestly. Of course, that's how it is, Peter. <laughs> okay, Miss Summer Collins, what a delight. I could talk to you just for ages, but I feel like I'd have to pay you after a while. But you have paid us all with your knowledge and your thought leadership here. So thank you so much for being on, and I hope we can have you back again. Thank you both. Really appreciate it. This is a lot of fun. <laughs>